Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm lovely. Thank you. It, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but there's an election happening in Virginia right now. <laughs> or there's going to be an election November 2nd, which just as a reminder for the folks who listen who haven't heard my reminders enough, the first Monday after the, excuse me, the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November, which in this case happens to be November 2nd, because November 1st is Monday, um, is election day. And yes. in Virginia, it's always, there's always an election in Virginia. There's, yeah, uh, I don't uh, think there's like in some places they have off off years where nobody gets elected to anything and you don't have to go vote. We don't have that here, do we? We have we have a yeah. rather continuous election cycle. Yeah, uh, and, and many of my students uh, complain about this, and I'm and I'm like, okay, that's fine. Um, uh, and, and by the way, uh, voting behavior scholars have identified that one of the reasons why turnout um, for um, U.S. elections, comparatively, is lower than in most Western democracies. One of the main reasons why that is, is we have so many elections. Uh, election it's, fatigue. Yeah, election voter fatigue. And that's particularly the case, listeners, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Because the, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, they hold statewide elections the year after presidential elections. Okay. Now, there are some Virginia politics and government scholars who argue that Virginia went to that system as a way to actually suppress voter turnout. (laughs) Okay. Wow. Because historically, we know this in the United States, who tends to vote the most? Okay. Elites those with education, okay, those who are already, shall we say, who are efficacious, they believe in the system, right? They get in the habit of voting. So and going older to, folks and yes. retired folks, so those people who, who have are, more time on their hands, as it were. Okay, those who are already in the habit, believe in the system, okay, quote unquote, societal elites, okay, always show up, right? But to your point, Nia, we have statewide elections in Virginia on November 2nd. Um, and uh, it, yeah. I'm just going to say would not be so exhausting if they didn't start three years in advance. Like by the time we get around to it, I'm so tired. I'm like, oh, I don't care about either one of you anymore, uh, which is a terrible feeling for me to have. I, w- I wish that there was some sort of rule that you could not start running. Like uh, you mentioned a few episodes ago about Justin Trudeau calling calling an election and then 10 weeks later having one. Yes. He, just, he just said, you know what? In a few weeks, we're going to have an election. And the whole of Canada somehow managed to only have a 10-week election window, and yet they all managed to get out and vote. So I don't believe that there is any requirement that the 
presidential election starts the month after the election finishes for the previous presidential election. It's just ridiculous. It's too long. You you start to lose track of who said what and and I don't think it's necessary. I think we have a lot of drama, which adds to the fatigue. It adds to, if you see ads for an election over and over and over, I know for those people who watch television, there aren't that many anymore, but they, it's still out there. And Oh, hey, you know, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. Nina. Okay, you've heard me make this complaint. Um, I am somebody who watches, um, shall we say, uh, a fair amount of sports on TV. <laughs> Okay, right. It, it it is the background, shall we say, uh, music or noise, okay, to my late night work efforts. And I got to tell you, I am getting tired of seeing advertisements, okay, for the Virginia elections, okay, that are, you know, in between innings for my Major League Baseball playoff <laughs> games or you know, hockey uh, just started, right? And I'm a huge professional hockey fan. And there were advertisements for, you know, both political parties, gubernatorial candidates, lieutenant governor candidates, attorney general. Yeah, then it's just had, exhausting. And then you okay. get the robocalls and you get the mailers. Yes, right. And, yeah. and I'm like, well, the recycling world loves you because that's what I'm doing with all this stuff. But it's just, <laughs> it's just exhausting. Uh, but it's in, not in, in we're we are ever so lucky in Virginia that it happens to us all the time, but it's but the midterms that are coming up, which is not this year, right? That's 2021 and that's the odd year out. Thank you, Virginia, for being weird. And then in 2022, we have it even worse because we're gonna have a billion more ads, right? Because yeah. Isn't the entirety of Congress turning over or something like everybody's like we're going to see all 400,000 ads for. Uh, OK, so help, uh, me. Listeners. help me, Augie. It's going to be terrible. <laughs> so listeners, what he is referring to is um, uh, uh, the phenomenon known as midterm elections. OK, and these are the. Uh, national elections halfway through a presidential term. Thus, right. Thus the so President Biden was elected in 2020. There'll be a 2022 midterm and yes. then another 2024 presidential election. Yes. Okay. Um, and the mid, uh, with the midterm elections, um, every seat in the House of Representatives uh, will be uh, contested. Uh, because again, uh, the uh, term for House, U.S. House of Representative members is two years, okay? Um, and that was by design. Uh, the House is supposed to be the quote-unquote people's chamber of our Congress. Right. Significantly um, more responsive than the Senate. Yes. Um, right. And the, and the thought is with a two-year term, uh, if you're a House of Representative member, um, you're going to want to get stuff done because you will be held accountable, perhaps, okay, <laughs> in two yeah. years. Right? Tell it to some of the people who've been there for 150 years. I'm like, uh, how can yeah, you it, uh, yeah, it, go yeah, we'll away? In we, my we, ideal world, all 435 seats would turn over. 
<laughs> no, it would not be ideal, Nia. It would be you... fabulous. It would okay. be fabulous. The confusion, the chaos, the okay, the drama. But, but, there's, but there is the uh, there is a downside when you have that kind of turnover. Okay, think about how that affects productivity, and you know this in your own job when there is a lot of you know turnover. <laughs> okay, at, at the VCU library. Okay, does it affect the library's productivity and effectiveness? Yes, but I'm going to counter counter your argument with <laughs> if a body is ineffective anyway, oh. then why not just wipe it out and start over? Uh, get, wipe your big, it out. get your just, big eraser and go or eat or eat or eat or eat or eat until they're all gone. See, the, don't, the metaphor. Don't kill people. I'm not suggesting killing people. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying retire them like you do fine thoroughbreds. Put them out to pasture and then and get 435 new people and say, all right, this is how it's going to work. Y'all are going to get along or in two years, we're going to wipe you out and try again. And we'll keep doing that until people learn to get along. I'm just saying. We'd okay. only have to do that four or five times. And yes, I know the intervening 10 years would be horrific. I get that. <laughs> I, did, I didn't even have to say anything. You didn't because your face was like, are you kidding, Nia? Yeah. But I'm just yeah. saying. I just, this, this is, this is I one of the downsides to a podcast because um, <laughs> listeners don't get to go ahead and see, see our facial. Face. <laughs> right? Right. Where, when I say, let's just restart the government every two years for 10 years. Yeah, his face did a whole thing like, are you insane? But not only are all 435 U.S. representatives up, but isn't it some measure of the Senate is also? One third. Okay, so um, uh, what we're talking about is uh, 34 members of the Senate um, uh, will I be... I was going to ask you if it's one third. There's 100 of them. That would mean 33 and a third. I want to know no, who the third is. Yeah, in 2022, <laughs> 34 members of the Senate, uh, their seats uh, will be contested. Um, and, and again, that's by design. Uh, that's right. in the Constitution. Um, so, and again, that fits the structural purpose of the Senate. Um, the Senate is on six-year terms. Um, and they uh, stagger, if you will, the replacement of senators, because in part, the Senate was designed to be um, a slower, more moderate chamber um, in the United say, States Congress. They're sort of more deliberative, right? And the House is supposed to be more reactive. Yeah, that's right. Um, in the ideal fact, world, the, the House yeah. would be reacting to conditions on the ground. Where yes. the Senate would be saying, "What's the long-term effect of yes of doing a thing?" Yes. But although um, I'm not entirely certain that's actually how it works, but I think that's how it was intended to work. Well, I mean, think about this, Nia. Um, in the current United States Congress, uh, the House of Representatives, uh, a number of uh, the majority party in the House have complained that the Senate is too deliberative, um, and in fact, they point to the fact. They point to two of their own party members in the Senate, um, uh, 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 the senator from Arizona, uh, uh, what, uh, Kristen, what's her last name? Uh, uh, um, Simeon? 
Oh, look at us. We can't remember. And and Joe Manchin, right? Yeah, Joe Manchin, who is from uh, uh, West Virginia um, in Arizona. Cinema. Cinema. S-I-N-E-M-A. Yeah. Okay. Or cinema. I can't remember cinema. if it's cinema or cinema. But... I think it's cinema. Um, uh, but like, yeah, they're you know, they're uh, ultra deliberative. One may one might argue. The, the, yes. Um, but they're it, also endangered. They're from two places where where Democrats are not the majority, yeah. right? So they yeah, have it, to walk it, a very fine line locally. Yeah, Arizona recently has become a battleground state um, because. Um, uh, the cities in suburban areas of Arizona, um, Democrats have done well in, but the rest of the state is very rural, tends to be uh, very Republican. Um, and Cinema uh, has a seat that used to be occupied, I believe, by John McCain. Ah. Okay. Um, so, and she's very cognizant of that. Okay. Right. She's very cognizant. She of that. has to be a really pr very moderate Democrat yeah. in order to okay. stay in her position. And same with Joe Manchin. He's from what West Virginia. Well, Manchin Manchin's um, uh, uh, chore is even more difficult. Uh, West Virginia has gone overwhelmingly Republican. I mean, Donald Trump won West Virginia in 2020 by over 20 percentage points. 2016, it was nearly, I think, nearly 20 percentage points. I mean, basically, Joe Manchin is a dying breed in West Virginia, okay? A statewide Democrat, okay? So for him to continue to get reelected in that state, okay, he can't Which, go- by the way, is the purpose of any politician's life. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they want to win elections. re-election, right. Yeah, right. Um, um, but anyways, back to the midterms. Okay. So the difficulty for the majority. Wait. Yeah, go ahead. Wait, I want to, so how many Democrats are there in the house? Uh, currently there's, uh, 220, 224. If you include the four non-voting delegates. Are the non-voting delegates like, um, DC and places like that? Yes. Okay. And, and then, then how are, many Republicans? Uh, 214. So there's only a 10 vote difference. Yeah. Well, and effectively, it's, it's even fewer. Because if you took away five Democratic seats, seats and you made them a Republican, the Republican Party would have the majority. <laughs> Think about it. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, there okay. you go. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Um, and if the Republican Party wanted to be on the safe side, it's only six, right? So okay. So they've only six... got to flip six races uh, in order. Right. Yes. Ooh, that's tight. And then I know that the Senate is like 50 50, isn't it? Or Yeah. Okay. There are 50 Republicans, 48 Democrats, two independents. But both of those uh, independents vote with the Democrats. So it's a 50-50 split. And by Senate rule, um, who casts the tie-breaking tie vote? The vice president. The vice president, who is a Democrat, Kamala Harris. But if there's, okay. but if there's 51 to 49, yes, that changes that math entirely. Yes. yes. Okay. So this is not an insignificant 
election. It is not. Um, I mean, sometimes we've seen those two bodies so heavily skewed in one direction or the other that the midterm doesn't actually affect the changing of of who's the majority and who's the minority, right? Like we've seen those elections, but this is not one of those elections. This is an election where literally every vote is going to count and every seat turned one way or another, flipped one way or another is going to matter. Yes. Okay. Who is that guy who does the the thing on MSNBC with the big wall? Um, Steve Karnacki. Karnacki. Oh my gosh, he's not going to get any sleep. On November, oh, well, of 2022, so it'll be November 3rd, I guess. He, yes. He's just he's just going to be, his hair's going to be sticking straight out, and he's going to look like a maniac, because... Yeah, his sport jacket uh, <laughs> will uh, will be somewhere on a floor. His, his shirt his sleeves will be, be rolled up, <laughs> okay? His tie will be loose. There will be sweat stains um, uh, on the armpits, okay? <laughs> yeah. He's gonna he's gonna have a rough one. <laughs> okay, um, his hair uh, uh, will be so disheveled and uncombed. <laughs> okay, um, and you know it will look like he has been consu- consuming Red Bulls for about a month, right? Okay. Now, what's interesting in this particular election is it's likely that Joe Biden's going to look pretty close to that as well, right? Because well, it, presidents it, don't. There's not a great love for them during the midterm elections anyway, right? Yes. Um, typically, um, if you're talking about um, uh, modern midterm elections, so basically since 1900, okay, on average, the president's party has lost a combined 30 seats in the House and Senate every midterm. Which would make, in this case, both of those bodies Republican majority. Republican, yes. Okay. And the president's domestic policy agenda would be effectively DOA, dead on arrival, right? Um, particularly with how hyper-partisan things are um, in the Congress, right? Um, I mean, we've seen this. Um, with multiple presidents um, in the 21st century, right? Um, why? Why is this? Why well, do presidents it, take a be- such a beat? Their parties take such a beating, and I know in part the president, the president's party takes a beating in part because the president is the head of the party, right? Yes. And so, but but why? Why is it that midterms? What did what did Obama call it? A shellacking which is a great word. Um, yes. You know, why is that such a thing? Well, political scientists have come up with uh, a number of explanations, right? Um, uh, one is um, um, the coattail effect. Um, when presidents get elected, particularly if they win in a landslide, they bring in to Congress perhaps candidates who might not have otherwise won the election, right? Oh, okay. Okay. And we love so, this guy because right now we love the head guy and we love everyone who loves him. Yes. All, okay. mwah, mwah, mwah. We love everybody. Yeah. And then yeah, they get right? to know you and they're like, ooh, you kind of suck. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and, and, and we've seen this, for instance, with, you know, a number of, of, of presidential elections, like, you know, FDR's second and third elections in 36, 1936 into 1940, right? Um, we saw this with LBJ in 64, okay? You want to talk about a shellacking, Barry Goldwater got shellacked, okay, ah. as the Republican Party nominee, and LBJ brought in a lot of Democrats, right? Um, Did both and, of those have midterm problems, though, after they uh, yeah. had done that? Okay. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. So the coattail uh, effect that, that, doesn't you know, last very long. Very long. Well, not with FDR. FDR's uh, first midterm, um, the number of Democrats in the majority actually went up. Ah. Okay, but as the New Deal lost traction and the Depression continued, okay, the Democratic majorities in both houses of Congress shrank in 1938, okay? Okay. But you saw this with Reagan, right? Reagan in 1984 just absolutely devastated Walter Mondale, right? Brought yeah, in a whole I was embarrassed for Mondale and I was very young. Okay, but uh, that was 1984. In 1986, on the other hand, okay, Republicans lost seats in both houses of Congress. Right? Even though Reagan was popular. Even though Reagan was popular. He was popular. Okay. okay. Are those two things separated? Like, yeah, because in the part, popularity of the president doesn't necessarily mean that he still won't get shellacked? Yes. Okay. And, okay. Here, come, and here are some of the explanations. One is voter apathy, right? So those who got excited in the presidential election, okay, and we kind of sort of talked about this at the beginning of this episode, right? Okay, um, they were excited when the president got elected. And then after watching Congress and the president try to govern for you know a year and a half to a year and three quarters, they get apathetic, right? Yeah. You know, you know part of it is, you know, you know, I was excited for the pre, you know, for last, you know, for the previous election. Now I'm not, or I get frustrated because they didn't do anything. Okay. Yeah. Uh, same poop, different day. Yeah. Right. Um, um, I mean, that kind of idea of just yeah. whatever. I, I thought there was going to be change and there isn't. And in part, that's, I would think has to do with people's expectations. Sometimes people think that the government can change faster than it can. I mean, you're talking yeah. about an enormous, if you, if you think of it in terms of a ship, that's me changing, me turning a rowboat versus me turning the Titanic. Like it's well, just harder I mean, think about to it, do you, because you, the government you, is so big. Yeah, I mean, you know, with your metaphor, you know, you, you've gone on cruises, right? Yes. And think about how difficult it is to go ahead and navigate a cruise ship, right? That's the U.S. federal government, okay? Right. Um, you're not going to turn it around in a year and a half. No. And if you have the expectation that the government will change in a year and a half, you will be disappointed. Right. And for a lot of voters, that disappointment leads them to not continue their political participation. The system I, is rigged to heck with it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this again. Yeah, right. I don't I, I find other things to do. I don't need to go vote. 
please don't say that. Please, people, if you're listening, please vote. Another explanation offered by political scientists, it's called the presidential penalty, okay? Uh, the tendency of some voters who were angry when their presidential candidate lost to exact revenge, okay, ah. <laughs> two years later, okay? In other words, excuse the expression, they're still pissed off, okay, about what happened in the presidential election, so they're more motivated. Okay, and we might see some of that in this election, uh, considering yeah, yes. the response to Donald Trump's loss in I some, mean, in some quarters has been taken very, very much hard. Yeah, think about the number of Trump uh, uh, supporters who still contend that the 2020 presidential election was rigged, that right. there was fraud, okay? For them, there is nothing to do except to go vote and try to fix it. Yeah, they, they have a lot of pen, pent up energy, shall we say, <laughs> anger, <laughs> and, okay? Um, they may exact, if you will, a penalty on the Democratic Party. Okay. But then there's retrospective voting, okay? Retrospective voting is when a voter goes ahead and says, okay, how is my life, my family's life, my friends' lives better or worse since the previous election? So they, I voted for that John Augenbaugh and my taxes went up and my salary went down and I have giant medical bills and my spouse lost her job. Uh, uh, my kid's student loan, uh, 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 you know, uh, terms and conditions were worse. Okay. And, you know, uh, heck with mother, him, I'm voting the opposite party. Yes. It's retrospective voting, right? Okay. Uh, they do a comparison of where they are, you know, when they go to vote compared to when they last voted. Okay. I mean, and the flip of that could also be true, right? I am, I am in the roses. Things are fabulous. I'm making yes. more money. I have a, I don't know. I just bought a new boat or whatever. I'm so flush and I'm going to go vote for the president's party because I love that guy. Yes. So that could go either way, it depending on either. how you feel your position, how you feel your position has changed. Yeah. So for okay. instance, okay. Um, you know, I'm just going to give two examples. On one hand, there are going to be plenty of Americans who are like, Joe Biden ran for office and said that he was going to be the president that led us out of the pandemic. And if, you know, it's 2022 and there and are we're still wearing masks, masks and we, you know, we have to get booster shots, you know, every six months. Um, and, you know, you know, whatever the case may be, you might take it out on the president. Mm. Or, um, you know, what if the Congress passes an infrastructure deal, right? Um, what if, um, you know, think about the employment And situation. your roads get better and your yeah, kid gets you, a job. And job or, you know, or think about, for instance, uh, the unemployment situation, okay, where so many employers are looking you know, are in dire need and you change jobs, 
Okay, and you go from making $40,000 a year to 52,000. That feels pretty good. Feels pretty good, right? Right. Okay. Okay. And, and you know, your kids back in school. Okay. Uh, nobody, nobody in your family has COVID. Okay. Um, so retrospective voting cuts both ways. The difficulty right now for President Biden and the Democrats is that there was an initial legislative success. You know, that was the, you know, immediate, you know, paycheck or, or uh, tax relief. relief right. Okay, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, vaccines did get into, um, uh, you know, many Americans' arms, right? Um, we had a decline in COVID cases in the summer. But then the Delta variant hit. Okay, the United States Congress has not really acted on the rest of Biden's legislative agenda. And for good measure, the Supreme Court has basically gone ahead and eviscerated his eviction moratorium. <laughs> okay. Um, and there have been, you know, some setbacks in foreign relations. You know, see, for instance, the troop withdrawal in Afghanistan. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, there are some different, there are some strong headwinds against the Democratic Party going into the midterms next year. But we're doing this podcast episode a year before. Right. And who okay. knows what will change. Yes. In okay. the next year, if, if it spins in a different direction. Do you think that, um, I can't remember what his name was. Um, Carville? Um, James Carville. Uh, he's a when consultant he said, strategist for the Democratic Party. When he says it's the economy, stupid, do you think that that's, that a huge amount of how people vote is where they feel economically? Uh, in regards to voters who uh, do retrospective voting, yes. Okay. Yes. Retrospective voters typically tend to focus on, okay, economics and economic well-being for themselves, their family, their friends, etc. Okay. okay. Um, and, and that's part of, again, going to be part of the difficulty for the Democratic Party, because even if President Biden's infrastructure program does get passed, and even if um, the $3.5 trillion um, budget proposal gets passed in some manner or the other, as you and I have talked in previous podcast episodes, there's always a lag time between a law passed by Congress and, and when the spending gets, of money, right? Yeah, and when it gets implemented by the executive branch, okay? Right. And, and some of the elements of both of those domestic policy, if you will, programs have a lot of moving parts. Okay. Right. I mean, you have to I hire mean, people. There has to be. Well, I mean, think and about if you're building infrastructure, there's engineering it's, it's, that has to happen early, and there's all these other things. Like, and a lot of that. You don't just be, walk up and start building a bridge. That's not how. Yeah, build, and a lot of that money is going to get allocated to state and local governments. Okay. And right. that's going to take time. 
I mean, that kind of well, as we saw with the um, uh, rent relief program. Yes, it's or, taken you know, states a lot of time to get those to get those think, dollars into hands that need them. Or think Nia back to uh, the Bush forty three and Obama administration's bailouts um, mm -hmm. um, uh, during the Great uh, Recession of two thousand seven to two thousand and nine. Right. Uh, the Obama bailout focused on, um, if you will, energizing the American economy. Um, but in most cases, it took two to three years for that money uh, to actually lead to, you know, ditches being built, roads being built, okay, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it takes time. Right. And if you're the Democratic Party, Okay, and you're looking at the 2022 midterm elections. You don't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of time. And if you're the Republicans, the smart thing to do is stonewall. Yes. Even if you know that eventually something is going to be passed, yes. if you can stonewall it down to the absolute last minute, then you can, then you can keep the Democrats from taking advantage of that. That's right. As a, as a selling point for themselves. Yeah, because when they are running for re-election, you know, next summer and next fall, okay, um, the material benefits of whatever policies do get passed won't be readily apparent. Right. So they won't be able to go ahead and say, I was a member of the, you know, United States Congress that got this new, uh, uh, I got this bridge fixed. Right. Or they right? created... 10 trillion jobs or jobs. whatever, right. Yeah, okay. Uh, they won't be able to say that. And I, and again, I understand many listeners are going to be like, well, the Republican Party then is, is working against the benefit of their voters. Oh, wait a minute here. Okay. They have a fundamental ideological disagreement with what is the appropriate role or purpose of government. And the only way they get to enact that ideological perspective is if they regain control of what? Right. Congress. Okay. So winning elections mean you get to control positions of authority. And when you're in positions of authority, then you might be able to do what you want to do, okay, in your party. Well, and sadly, we lack a lot of compromise. Yes. We lack... Um, we lack a lot of working together and trying to find the middle ground between you guys spend too much, you guys don't spend enough, it should be spent by the states, it should be spent by the federal government, like all of those questions should be worked on as a, as a group and come to some sort of agreement and we are so polarized that I think that that's harder, that's getting harder and harder to do. It's getting harder and harder for members of Congress to agree that that bunnies are fluffy and that you know that kids the blue like skies chocolate. are pretty and kids like chocolate right like, milk like, yeah, yeah i mean you know, it, 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 it is it, the, the 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 lack the, of 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 agreement okay the the lack of willingness to go ahead and accept the fact that um people of the opposition party are not the enemy Right. Okay. It's pretty stunning right now. 
and, and, and I tell my students uh, this with some regularity, Mia, I, I'm like, you know, if you guys want the federal government to do stuff, it is structured to require compromise and consensus. Unless your party has an overwhelming majority in both houses of Congress and the occupant of the presidency is of that party, you're going to have to get compromise. <laughs> right. Okay. You're going to have to get compromise. And compromise just looks like it's, it's harder and harder and harder to get. It's weird. Like, I and, don't and, know. And, and many Americans, Nia, believe that compromise is the equivalent of deal making. And deal making is bad. Okay. Or I mean, they believe it's, or they believe it's caving. Yes. Right. You're you know, caving from your side. And so you don't stand up for what we believe in, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, I do. But I'm also cognizant of the fact that we need to get something done. We can't just stand around saying no forever and not do anything. That's not productive and it's not helpful. Yeah. I mean, because it, it goes back to the, you know, the, 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 the old question in politics. OK, um, you know. To what extent do you go ahead and maintain your principles? If maintaining your principles means you never do anything, you don't govern. Right. Okay. And it, I'm just going to throw out there that if I was as uncompromising as our Congress is, my boss would fire me. Like that's not yeah. how <laughs> that's not how people in real jobs get to work. You don't get to work and say, I'm just never going to do that. I'm, <laughs> I'm never going to help a student at the front desk ever again. And my boss would say, really? Well, then I hope you find a good job somewhere that's not here because that's not what we do. And so I, that's the other thing is I, it irritates me that people say we can't hold Congress accountable. I'm sure we can. We can vote them out. The problem is we don't. On a regular basis, we don't vote them out. We don't force them we don't say and we don't say as an electorate the reason we're voting you out is because you're being intractable and it's unacceptable you know if you were it, I, I don't know it's just it's not well i mean I, you, you you make a good point because again i've said to friends family members students i'm like if you want congress to actually do more then look at who the parties are nominating and who you are voting for. Right. If you are voting for people, okay, who indicate that it's their party or the highway that they're not willing to compromise, then you are contributing to the fact that the Congress is not getting stuff done. And that the president also need to yeah. work it from the inside out sometimes. Sometimes where that change is going to come is young people who who start to work in the party to change things. I know that they all, that a lot of young people wanted Bernie Sanders to win. Yeah. And they had real problems with Hillary Clinton and how all of that how all the candidates were chosen and which candidate was, you know, cuz they thought that Bernie could have beaten Donald Trump and, you know, blah 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 blah. And that's an argument for another day and over copious amounts of adult beverages. But <laughs> I but I I put to you that from the inside out of that party you would have had a better chance of getting Bernie. 
you would have had a better chance if you had worked the party in both directions, both as activists, but also, also from within. If the parties are constantly controlled by old school politicians, Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, right? Like people who've been doing this for a long time, they're going to get their way and they're going to get their candidates because they know how to work the system. Yes. You need to get in, you know, start at your local level. If you want to change, if you really want to change the world, like one of our VCU students, previous VCU students just ran for city council. Yes. And he's a young man. He he did not win, but he got in there and fought the good fight. And I, I have in deep admiration for that. Um, the idea. Yeah, that, and if you want to change the system, chances are you're going to have to be in the system to change right. it. Exactly. Okay. It just is not going to respond to outside forces. Hey, so can we talk briefly about, because I know we're going to, uh, we could talk about this for weeks um, and kill me now. Um, the Can we talk about the Senate and how tight the Senate races yeah. are going to be? Because aren't they going to be awfully tight? Like, Okay, so of the 34 Senate seats that will be contested in 2022, uh, the Republican Party has, has more of those seats to defend. Oh, really? Meaning, yeah, meaning right now, of those 34, 20 of the 34 are held by Republicans, okay? Okay. Five of those 20 seats, the Republican incumbent, okay, has already announced they are not running for re-election. So you're talking about from your home state of North Carolina, Richard Burr, um, has announced that he's not running for re-election. I don't know what he's going to do with himself. He's been in I, the I, Senate forever. <laughs> Pat uh, Toomey uh, from my home state of Pennsylvania. Uh, Rob Portman in Ohio. Rob Portman's kind of young, isn't he, to be retiring? Uh, he, he's been in elected office for multiple decades, oh. but it was, it was somewhat surprising because by all accounts, his health is good. Okay, his health okay. is good. Because Burr and Toomey have been around since God was a boy. Like they've, they've <laughs> been around a long time, right? Okay. Well, in, 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 in the last two of the five are even older. Uh, Dick Shelby from Alabama. Okay, he's been in the Senate forever and a day. Yeah, um, I'm pretty and, sure he fought in the Civil War. <laughs> and Roy Blunt from Missouri. Now, oh, basically. Roy Blunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, has a, such a fine head of hair, right? He really does. I mean, it, you really can't go ahead and say that about many <laughs> U.S. senators, male or female. Especially at their ages. But Okay, but Roy Blunt, okay, you know, I'm, I'm rather envious, okay? And I, if I'm remembering correctly, he is very fond of posters, uh, of yeah. having giant images to point to when he's talking yes. to what is more or less an empty floor but yeah you know, yeah he, he's playing uh, for c-span he's yeah, good well, at playing it, for c-span yeah, he does like he does like uh the uh, uh, a whiteboard okay <laughs> you know on the stand okay right on the easel okay. no, oh, on the easel goodness. yeah but now, of those he, of all those guys portman's the youngest by so, a fair bit i think isn't he 
that I don't know, but three of those seats are safe Republican seats. I mean, if you think about Ohio, Alabama, and Missouri. I was going to say Alabama and Missouri aren't going anywhere. Okay. Um, Unless the Republican Party nominates really poor candidates, okay, they will probably stay Republican. North Carolina and Pennsylvania, however, those are going to be toss-ups. Yeah, North Carolina's purple these days. And and Pennsylvania, with the exception of voting for Donald Trump in 2016, um, statewide, okay, um, they generally have been picking Democrats, okay? Oh, just for listeners, I quick looked this up. Rob Portman is 65. Now, that tells you my perception of youth in the Senate. (laughs) I'm just saying that's a problem. Well, I mean, but I'm like Portman, the, isn't he young, relatively speaking? Well, I mean, relative to the other guys, he is. But I mean, well, particularly people in because, the Senate. Well, particularly, I mean, if you think about uh, how a couple of weeks ago, Chuck Grassley, who is a senator from Iowa, <laughs> who's like 964 years old, right? Like he's he's in his. I'm late pretty 80s. sure he he sailed on the Mayflower. <laughs> <laughs> he's in his late 80s. And he announced that he is running for another term next year. He is 88. Yes. And you know what? He runs five miles every day or something like there every other day. I mean, like, he's, yeah, 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 he's, he's in, he is in remarkably good health. Okay? Yeah. I okay. mean, I guess if you, as long as you stay in good health, it's a, and, and, and by all accounts, okay. He still has his mental faculties. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, term limits are elections, people. If you want if you want somebody who's going to be 94 at their next election to not run this time, then that's how you... Although it, it, Chuck it, Grassley is enormously popular in his oh, state. He's, oh, like, yes. he is beloved. Uh, yes. I'm surprised he never ran for president. I think Grassley figured out early on in his Senate career that what made him popular in Iowa... Was not necessary. Would not necessarily uh, sell for mm. the rest of the country. Okay, um, it, it's what my colleague Chris Aladino refers to as um, uh, college football and basketball coach wonderlust problems. Okay, just because you're a really good coach at um, a small to medium sized school doesn't mean that you will be a really good coach at, for instance, the University of Alabama football program, okay? Which Which, chews up coaches and spits them out like, you know, gristle. You know, Nick Saban has had a long run there and he's been remarkably successful, but he can handle the pressure, right? Right. He knows what's going to work there, right? Um, Just because you're really popular from Iowa doesn't mean that East and West Coast mm. um, elites, okay, we'll are going to take to you, okay? Um, you know, yeah. the grass is not always greener. Not everybody can be Bear Bryant. Yeah, right? Um, now, l- l- before we conclude this episode, Nia, I do want to talk about something, and this is going to segue to an upcoming 
podcast episode where we do a second deeper dive into the census results. Are we going to okay. talk about redistricting? I am. And that's okay. where I wanted to go to next. Okay. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. How many, yeah. how many house members are, are going to turn over? Are, are uh, retiring or quitting or giving up or <laughs> throwing in the towel or whatever you want to call it? At the time we are recording this podcast, okay? Which is a may, year and a bit out. Yeah, there, there may be other retirements um, uh, uh, before the election. But right now, um, there are 19 House members who have already announced they're not running for re-election. 10 Democrats and nine Republicans. And from what I was able to figure out of those 19, okay, um, easily two thirds of those have figured out that their districts, either as they're currently constructed or will more than likely be reconstructed during redistricting, okay, will probably be difficult to win. Ah, so this is where we get to redistricting. Yes. Okay. okay. So, um, as so many wait. List- yes. The, the reason we redistrict is because the census counts everybody, figures out where the populations have moved in the last 10 years. And by the way, everybody has moved to Texas. So, because like Elon Musk is now moving all of his operations to Texas and, and, you know, all these people have moved to Texas, but the people who haven't moved to Texas get counted. And then, and then each state sets up some sort of districting or redistricting thing. In Virginia, it's a commission that just got set up and apparently immediately declared defeat. But whatever, bunch of whiners. Um, but it's either done by the state or it's done by something where you have to figure out, because what we're trying to do is balance the number of people represented by a representative in Congress. And it's only in the House of Representatives for redistricting because of course the state gets two senators regardless of how many people move there or leave there, hence why Montana and Texas have the same number of senators. Because nobody cares that it's eight billion per senator in Texas and it's four per senator in in Montana, because I guess we don't yeah. care about that. <laughs> for the, the historical con, you know, constitutional reasons, we don't care about that. But the redistricting the, is for house seats. Yes, because okay. uh, each state's number of representatives in the house um, is based on population. So California- And cannot go below one. Correct, okay, (laughs) correct. If you only have four people in Montana, they they still get a representative. (laughs) They they, they do get a representative, right? Okay. (laughs) So as Nia just pointed out listeners, um, the electoral maps, the district maps are drawn at the state level, okay? That's in the U.S. Constitution. Um, as Nia pointed out, um, uh, there are 
at this point, 10 states that have either commissions or nonpartisan, if you will, groups that redraw the congressional district maps, okay? Um, and as Nia just pointed out, Virginia is one of the most recent states uh, to come up with a commission. Um, what that commission has already announced that they will fail to do is draw the state legislative districts. Yeah. Um, as we are recording, <laughs> they are making a last ditch effort to draw the congressional district map in Virginia. Right. Though I got to admit, if I was a betting person, I would not be betting that they will successfully do so. Right. Agreed. Okay. So what this basically means is that the other roughly 40 states, okay, use politicians. Typically, um, their state legislatures, okay, draw the maps. Okay. Right. Now, this process at this time broadly favors the Republican Party. Why? Because Republicans control redistricting in 20 states for a total post-census 187 congressional districts. Now, can the Republican Party basically draw congressional districts so that no Democratic candidate has a chance to win? No, they can't do that, right? Okay, well, theoretically, they probably could, but they can't practically, okay? Well, and there are some SCOTUS rulings that prevent you from doing that by race or by like other demographic. Well, the, the, the main demographic is race. But what the Supreme Court has said is one person, one vote. So you can't privilege rural voters compared to urban voters. And you can't privilege Caucasian voters versus, okay, people of color voters. Okay. Those are the two main rules, right? Okay. Now, Democrats, by contrast, have control of eight states with 75 districts. Hmm, 187 okay. to 75. Hmm. Okay. 10 states use independent commissions, as I mentioned, and then there are right. six other states where the state legislatures, okay, are balanced between the Democrats and the Republicans, okay? Okay. So on the surface, it looks like redistricting, okay, might give a few more seats to the Republican Party because they'll be, what we're talking about here is a process called gerrymandering. Right. Where you create safe House of Representative districts for either your party or particular candidates. And both political parties do this. Right. right. Gerrymandering okay. is not a Republican it, feature or a Democratic, Democratic feature. feature. It's a political feature. 
Yes. Whoever's in charge writes it to their best advantage. And then the next go round. That's why district mapping, that's why it's so important who's in charge of a state when the census rolls out yes. and the districts get redistricted. It doesn't matter if you're in charge of the state in the middle years. Who cares? What you need to be in charge of the state is at this it's at the census year you need to be at the census when the census is done and then when the census material comes out so that you can control the district for the next time yes. and frankly the republicans have been playing the long game on this much more than the democrats have yes which is why you see the gap between 20 states that are republican and what is it nine eight state eight nine states that are democrat like that's why there's such an enormous gap is because yeah, I mean it's part of the reason it's part of the reasons why Republicans do have so much control at the state level because they control state legislative district map drawing. Right. But it also reflects what Nia just described. The Democratic Party in general has focused on national elections. Okay? And but maybe in, all politics are local. And and in this millennium, the Republican Party has tended to focus more on statewide elections. Right. Okay. And that's where this really bears fruit, as Nia just pointed out, is the year after the census results get released, because that's when redistricting occurs. And if the and if a party is smart long term, they can set up the districts for an entire decade right. to benefit their party. And that's going to be which then leads to the next decade. Like yes. That's a that's a that's a centuries long program if you think about it that far ahead, right? That that you can make it so that it is really hard for another party to have any sort of and, the, and I don't I'm not trying to accuse Republicans of doing anything underhanded. They are playing the system exactly the way the system is built. Yes. Like they're just following the rules. And the rules are if you're in charge the year after the census, you get to draw the maps. That's And the, and the Supreme Court has said um, uh, uh, recently um, in the last couple of years in a case from North Carolina um, that uh, redistricting um, for partisan purposes um, is not unconstitutional. It is a political question that should be addressed by the states. And some, yeah. and some, and some states have addressed it by coming up with nonpartisan commissions. Right. Okay. Um, other states, okay, they are continuing with the process that they've used in some cases for almost two centuries. And can I just throw out here that um, I agree with SCOTUS in the sense that this is not a constitutional question, it's an ethical question. And ethical questions should be dealt yes. with by the political branches. That's why we have the political branches, is that they deal with the ethical questions of how do we fairly do this so that we, we have fair and free elections. I mean, I have I have a faint worry in my heart that at some point we're going to have to have the UN in here to watch our elections because they're not, you know what I mean? 
I'd like yeah. us to not get to that point if we could if we could possibly help it. What he is referring to, listeners, is the fact that for decades the United Nations, okay, has had a kind of sort of special unit of that international governing organization that basically goes around the world, okay, and monitors democratic elections, okay? Um, and for the longest time, um, one of the delegates was one of our former presidents, Jimmy Carter, okay? Um, that's what he became kind of sort of right. known for after he was no longer president um, was his role Okay, in being part of these delegations to make sure that elections, particularly in developed countries, but I mean, to Nia's point, <laughs> do you want the UN to come in and monitor election. elections when you you are you are considered by many scholars as one of the world's dominant powers? Right. Is that what you want to have happen, right? It's a, it's a, it's embarrassing, is what yes. it would be. I, you know, I think that, in fact, I think that may be what Jimmy Carter, in part, won his Nobel Prize for, um, uh, and also yeah. negotiating. He's done a lot of negotiating over the years of like, yeah, hey, it, why don't yeah. we just sit down and talk about this rather than just kill each other? One last thing before we go. Okay. So you and I have established that on the surface, it looks like the Republican Party has an advantage in setting up. House district uh, maps for the next decade. But as we will discuss when we look, when we take our second cut at the census results, the Republican Party needs to be smart about this if they want to get the max maximum benefit out of the redistricting process. Now they could go ahead and draw up safe seats that might win them the majority in the 2022 and 2024 midterms. But they need to think about how the US population is changing. And because for instance, in some states, okay, the population increase was among groups that don't historically or recently support the Republican Party. So how do you go ahead and draw up those districts to make sure that, you know, what you think are safe seats now by 2026 or 2028 or 2030 become safe seats for the other party? Right. Okay. And and you have to be careful of taking into account at least communities of color because that's something SCOTUS can bounce. Like that's a lawsuit worthy. Yes. Okay. Redistricting. If 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 they go if they do it such such that it's based on sort of racial lines or whatever that's, where they yeah. think they're gonna they think that that's gonna advantage them in the short in the short term it may in one election cycle but by the time it makes it to the supremes and comes back down as no you can't do that then you've lost that advantage in the next cycle yeah and you know who knows who's drawing the maps at that point so you know it can be a potent tool to benefit a political party 
I mean, and again, as Nia pointed out, we both pointed out, both political parties do this, right? Right. I mean, you know, uh, I've read the news uh, news accounts of how uh, Maryland, which is a pretty strong Democratic state, is considering a congressional redistricting map that would basically remove the last Republican seat in that state. And see, that's a dangerous game to play. <laughs> it's not, you know what I mean? And it's, it's not fair play. Like we need, gerrymandering is, I mean, I don't say it's fine because I don't like it, but I think that I understand it. But there's also a point at which you force the voters' hands by saying, okay, but nobody, but nobody ever represents me in this well, state. Yeah, I mean, you know, and in, in, in again, you know, part of the issue for, for me as a political scientist is you have candidates picking their voters. Right. Instead of voters picking their candidates. Which is not right? okay. And when, and we know this in terms of turnout, in non-competitive elections, okay, people don't turn out. And that's bad for democracy. It, because it, it, it and it's also it, bad for the upstream candidates like it's bad when yes. nobody turns out to vote for governor or to vote for president or like if you if you gerrymander those districts to i'm sorry i cut you off but it made me excitable there for a minute when no you, no no yeah go ahead when you cut those districts in such a way that people say it doesn't matter whether i go vote or not you're not just hurting your local politics you're also hurting all the upstream candidates who are missing out on those votes so it's a dangerous game to play if you decide you're going to cut out every republican voice in maryland well then republicans aren't going to turn out to vote in the presidential elections and that's a dangerous thing to have and i like that you point out that it hurts democracy. That's not the point. We should want to vote. We should want to have something to vote for or against. Like it should be a engaging act. Well, and, and, and let's just say, for instance, you, and I'll use Maryland and, and Republicans, okay? If there's very little chance that a candidate of their liking will ever represent them, okay? They might stop paying attention to politics. Oh, which is worse. They might stop paying attention or caring about what's going on in their community, or they will vote with their feet, which means they They'll may- move to Texas. Yes. Okay. And then when the next census comes around, see how you like that, Maryland. Okay, um, and, and this has repercussions. It only has repercussions in terms of population and census. Okay, um, uh, you know, the census and population, um, but, you know, federal government programs are oftentimes based on the population within a state. But if we're not, let's just move beyond government. If people start leaving your state, you are losing their talents, their skills, 
what they might contribute to that state or that locality in terms of, you know, contributions. Right. Okay? Brain drain. Okay. Um, and that becomes dangerous for states. And right. if you don't think that is, look at what has happened in the Rust Belt states. I was just going to say in the Rust Belt. Okay. Where people they, went south for jobs. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, right? Indiana, Illinois, states that used to be, you know, much more heavily populated than they are today, but they were the economic engines of the country. Right. They were thriving. Okay. Um, and now many of their citizens, particularly their youngest, most talented, have left or are leaving. Okay. And they won't come back. Okay. It doesn't mom, matter if, you know, mom, grandparents still live there. They're not coming back. Right. You've lost them. You know, there are repercussions, there are ripple effects to basically treating voters, okay, as though they are just assets for you to win elections. Right. Yeah. Or pawns on the board. Yeah. Right. You can't yeah. sacrifice the pawn too often or you lose the game. Yes. But anyways. Well, this has been a lovely preview. I imagine that what we'll do is get together again next year and do it much closer to the election when we can actually have a stronger prediction about who else is going to retire, who else might throw their hat in the ring. I want to know whether Matthew McConaughey is going to run for governor of Texas. because I know he's, <laughs> being, he's being courted and I think that would be hilarious. Um, so all anyway, right, all right, all right. Exactly. <laughs> shall we get together and do it again next year? Oh yeah. I think it would be great. I mean, and let's face it, you know, in the in the three years we've been doing this podcast, okay, things have happened in the world and politically, okay, that have completely changed, okay, oh. what is what what has been going on. So you know, any predictions or projections that we may have stated in this particular episode okay, are non-binding. Non-binding, <laughs> right? Is that okay. what? Is it when you sign a treaty, but you don't really sign a treaty? You say it's non-binding. Yeah, you know, I like your like, treaty, but I'm not, you know, I'm not all it's, in. It's like it's like that fine print in a contract, <laughs> you know, the act of God, right. Clause, or, right? Or the last thing in your work contract that says, or other duties as assigned, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, like wait, wait, what does that mean? Well, I might need you to do some landscaping, right? Like, yes. oh, okay. Um, so I may yeah, need, we should. I may, I may need you to go out on some scaffolding and uh, clean the windows. <laughs> Okay, on the 10th floor. Wait, really? I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> well, I guess well, we can't hire your, you. <laughs> exactly, it's in your job description, sorry. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, and who knew when we started this podcast, we'd have a pandemic. So yeah. things on the ground can change awfully quickly, but um, as it stands where we see it right now, it's going to be squeaky all the way across the board. I think it's going to be squeaky. Yeah, the numbers yeah. are going to be really tight. I don't think it, I don't think there's going to be some giant, huge change. But then again, if a comet hits the earth, it could all be moot. I'm just saying. Yeah. And, you know, the major takeaway is, guys, um, uh, the, the word of the day, shellacking. Right. <laughs> but somebody's going to get a shellacking. <laughs> President Barack Obama 
the day after the midterms in uh, 2010, well, went ahead and said his party took a shellacking. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Augie. Thank you, Neil. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.